You've entered Bookstorm with Kristen Civiletto and me, Chris Storm. This is a podcast devoted to best-selling books that matter, books that make a difference. We're diving down deep with beloved authors about their stories. We're exposing hot-button topics and heartfelt themes, the issues that affect each of us in our own lives as siblings, parents, partners, friends, as human beings. We're braving new ideas, fresh thoughts, hard lessons and important truths. Those kinds of things that stay with us long after we turn the last page and close the book. Welcome back to Bookstorm Podcast. We've got a special treat for you today. We're heading into the month of December, January, the beginning of the year. We need a feel-good book. We need a book that makes us laugh, but also has some meaning behind it. And we've got the most wonderful find here, The Bright Spot by Jill Shalvis. And Jill, welcome to Bookstorm Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We're really excited to dive down deep into this story, Kristen and I. But before I do, let me tell our listeners a little bit about you. I'm sure you've heard of Jill. She's a multiple New York Times and USA Today bestselling author. Her award-winning novels are heartwarming, they're full of humor, and they're beloved by so very many. Maybe you don't know that she's got a pretty great blog out there, too. She is a city girl living in the wild Sierras. Her blog has a lot of I Love Lucy moments that she shares, but she also talks about books, TV, and her favorite cookies. The blog is a lot of fun. I checked it out. Listeners, you've got to look at it. Now, back to this book that we love so much, I'm going to quote one endorsement because Bookstorm really loves Susan Wiggs, the author. She's a friend of Bookstorm. She's been on our show. And Susan Wiggs sums it up best. She said, sisterhood takes center stage in this utterly absorbing novel. Jill balances her trademark sunny optimism with humor and an unforgettable real-life drama. It's a book to savor and to share. And Susan, yep, we couldn't agree more. So happy to have Jill Shalvis with us here today. Thank you. I didn't know Susan had read it. I adore her. I adore her books. So we that's do a too. Thank you for that. We do too. <laughs> well, Jill, we're here to talk about this wonderful book, The Bright Spot. Chris and I, of course, we absolutely loved it. And I like to give our listeners just a little bit of the backdrop of the story. And I won't give away any spoilers or anything along those lines. But we would love it if you wanted to add anything at the end. Okay. Um, now, now, in the story, we encounter Luna Wright. She is a woman of action. She is running the Apple Ridge Farm. They uh, are a tree farm. They have a botanical garden section. And there's a motley crew of individuals and animals who work this beautiful place. They have to pull together in so many ways. Everybody brings their experience and their expertise. So we love getting to know all of these fantastic characters. Even her best friend, Willow, uh, works on the farm as well. Now, it was owned by a largely absent owner, Silas, and he's somewhat of a curmudgeon, uh, but he appears to have a soft spot for Luna. Now, Silas passes away in this book, and Luna discovers that the farm is now under the control of both her and Silas's investment manager, the enigmatic Jameson Hayes. And 
there's a board that oversees all of Silas's investments, including this farm, uh, but they are more interested in developing the land for other purposes. So we've got a lot of things going against uh, Luna as she is trying to make this farm profitable and make it work. She's not going to let this happen as far as selling this farm if it's up to her, but it's not. And there are too many people and animals that have found refuge there. So she's carrying this enormous weight and it's really exacerbated by the fact that Silas had many, many secrets. Did you want to add anything to that brief background? Well, it's really a found family story, in my opinion. Um, these people aren't related, but they're true blood as far as they're concerned. So that ups the stakes for Luna, because if she loses the farm, she loses this found family for her. It's everything. She has no one else. These people are it for her. So th those are the emotional stakes for her. Yeah, I love that. It was almost the friends like family uh, notion. And we felt that in this entire book from start to finish. Thank yeah, you. I loved it Absolutely. too. And for any of us in the real world, um, I don't live in the town that I grew up. Uh, friends do become family for most of us. And even if you live in the town grew up, friends become family in a lot of situations. And I just so much enjoyed this book. I got to say to our listeners, it was really comical. I laughed out loud. It was heartwarming. It really touched me in a lot of ways, but also it was very sexy. Little draw for our listeners out there. You showed us the challenges and joys in romantic relationships. Jameson said to Luna, we've got the same core wound, which means we understand each other. Wow. I thought about this for a while. As the writer do you believe that this core wound both drew them together and pushed them apart? Did they, like all of us in the real world, have to look at that wound for it to heal? Or maybe we need to let it go sometimes. This is a tricky one. It is a tricky one. And I've actually never done this before, but they did have the same core wound or wounds, which was abandonment and acceptance as they are, because they're both very different and unique individuals. They're actually complete opposites of each other. But with this core wound, it gave them something that both, both pushed them together, but pulled them apart. They're afraid of being abandoned. They've both been abandoned in the past. And they've both, neither of them have been accepted as they were, as they are. And so uh, it was very interesting for these, you know, Luna works from a place of her emotions. Her emotions lead her. And this farm that um, has these rescue farm animals on top of the tree farm and all of that. It's all about love for her. And Jameson, it's, he has pushed love out of his life. It's messed him up in the past. And for him, it's all about numbers, numbers, balance, numbers make sense. Love has never made sense to him. So in some ways they really had to accept those vast differences inside their heart to fall in love. I, I, I think like they admired that. each other. I think she admired him for being able to take a step back from emotions. And I think he admired her for being able to lead with her heart. And, and you know, it's interesting because sometimes we think if we suffered through something, we need someone who's the opposite of us, who did not suffer. But I think you showed us that two people can be drawn together with the same past hurts and maybe work it out in different, show each other how to work it out in different ways. Yes, because they were so different with their approach to life. I want to dive deeper into what you were just talking about just for a second. Um, you incorporated so many fundamental aspects of relationships and love into the story. I just loved it. 
But you also dove very deeply into this idea of in response to feelings of abandonment, we sometimes feel unworthy of love. And in our hurt, sometimes we sabotage the good things in our lives. And I wanted to ask you, did your characters and does anybody even realize what they're doing sometimes? I think Jameson is well aware that he self-sabotages relationships and he tells himself he doesn't care. He doesn't need them. He has his work and that's, he has made that his life. He's afraid to not self-sabotage because he will fall. And for Luna, I think she was completely unaware And one of the people that are her family members on this farm is actually her ex. And they're still very close friends. And I think that it's not until Jameson comes along and her and her ex kind of points things out to her, like you did this to me and now I'm doing it to him. Don't, don't do it again. So I don't think she realizes until this book that she self-sabotages. Yeah. I loved that because sometimes we need somebody who we trust and we know they're coming from a good place because they care about us to point things out and allow us to really consider that. And I thought that was a beautiful friendship aspect here. It's almost a writer cheat for me to have someone else point it out to her. It's a way to get it to the reader. And, and so on the one hand, it's a cheat, but on the other hand, I actually believe that she did not know she was doing this until it was pointed out. But that was that growth that we yes. saw throughout the story, which was because she's a little stubborn. <laughs> yeah, they both are. And for her, well, actually for Jameson, Jameson to come to this farm where everyone, you know, it's not a love fest. They fight like family. They bicker like family. But for him to come and have to try to fit in with these people, I think it was a real eye opener for him. I'd love, I just love the scenes in the beginning where the goat, uh, damn it, Ziggy is, keeps jumping onto his lap. And then after a while he starts to like the goat, it's very heartwarming. Well, I think that was the way for me to show that he was opening his heart a little bit at a time. You know, he shows up at this farm in a suit and fancy shoes and this, you know, baby goat, baby cows, everyone wants, all of them want to like love up on him (laughs) and he has to learn like, you know, to open up. And so part of that was losing the suit. Part of that was falling in love with the animals and becoming friends with these people. It shows a good guy who loves animals. It shows just an inherent kind-hearted person. Yes, I loved it. So there was another thing that you showed us through here that really was amazing. Luna believed it was personal connections and inherent joy that made a good business work. Jameson, of course, comes in with numbers. The books are what's important. It made the reader sort of look at our own life, maybe our own careers. What do you believe is the writer about this conflict between the connection of satisfaction and joy versus you've got to do something that's making money? Well, the farm is the actual physical manifestation of that. Luna up until this point, it's been about the joy of the farm and taking care the joy of it and the love of it will make the farm successful. And it's not successful as she learns, you know, she hasn't made any money. She's barely breaking even. And that's part of the problem. The land is now worth more than the farm is worth. And Jameson comes in and he doesn't care about joy uh, or connections, right? He cares only about the bottom line and the bottom line is she's messed up. So I think that they both come to realize that it takes both the connections and the joy of the work and this actual business sense to make it work. It was a little life lesson for all of us. So you want to love your job, but you better make some money in it. 
And if you're making a ton of money selling off people's businesses, you're not probably going to be very happy in the long run if you're hurting people. I mean, that can translate even away from business, just into all different relationships that there's a, there's dual factors involved. I loved that. Oh, thank you. And it was, I, I actually used it for the humor where I could, the farm. And these people, both Luna and Jameson, I think are more flawed than uh, I have done in the past, but that that made it funny and interesting to me. Like they both, they have some changing to do and some growing up to do. Absolutely. I want to ask you a little more about the business aspect. Um, sometimes in business, we think that we have to do everything well. And Luna's one of those people. And I think that thinking can lead to exhaustion at some point. And it's not even good for business either when you think about it. But how did your characters really find what they were good at and find their niche and then pull together? Well, this is one of Luna's faults, right? She thinks she has to do it all. She doesn't want to lean on anyone. She doesn't want to depend on anyone. And this is exactly what happens when she has to go away for a day or two. The farm doesn't know what to do without her because she has never let anybody else be in charge before. So it was a lot, you know, it goes back to that balance. She, that was how I showed that she needed more balance in her life. But what a good lesson being able to delegate and trust others. I mean, it's part of that learning to trust others. And yes, it comes she, out believed it, she believed that she did trust those, her family and friends. Like she believed and she was, you know, really giving people things to do. And she thought that they had this balance, but it turned out she had her finger in every pie and she was failing because of it. Good lessons. Good. I love that. And I also love the fact that they, they were imperfect characters, that they had a lot of history and hurts and things that they did incorrectly because and the reader secret. loves it. And there's a lot of secrets too that will come out that we haven't mentioned because we're of spoilers. But that's another thing that weighs you down is holding on to these secrets. We How we'd love to be able to talk about those, but we always <laughs> never give spoilers. But I loved it. The reader can relate to it because none of us are perfect. We don't want to look at a perfect person and watch their life story. We want to look at somebody like Kristen said, who grows and evolves and gets stronger. And you really gave that to us here. Thank, Thank you. you. Loved it so much. So before we let you go, now we've told our readers, okay, I'm going to show it for you YouTube watchers. Jill Shalvis, The Bright Spot. We really loved it. It's super fun. It's a feel-good book. It's going to leave you thinking. Um, can you give us a clue what you're working on next? I'm working on The Summer Escape, which comes out next June, so six months after The Bright Spot. And it's up on all the accounts so people can go look. It's got a really cute cover. And it is pretty much um, a scavenger hunt with a big romance in it. <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun. Is it, Kristen? We're going to check that out. We hope to get Absolutely. you back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell our listeners you've got to connect with Jill Shalvis. In the meantime, you're going to want to get this book as soon as it comes out. You can find her on jillshalvis.com. She has X, Facebook, Instagram. You can sign up for her newsletter. And I thought this was really intriguing because you will give bonus content that you can't find anywhere else, like extra scenes from some of the books. Yes. I always try to write an extra scene and I give it, I, in my newsletters at the very bottom, I'll give you the access to it and the code to it. So you can, and so if you sign up for my newsletter, you can read all of the bonus scenes for the previous books I've done. I like that. So when the book's over and you want more, get the newsletter and you get a little more. Yeah. And, it's and sometimes also, it's a deleted scene or it's an extra epilogue. 
and a free short story now yes. and then too. Yes. This is fantastic. And don't forget about the blog. That sounds really fun and love it. So it was been a pleasure having you on here at Bookstorm, Jill. Being here. Thank you. We truly loved it. It was, first of all, it was a joy reading it. And then it was a second joy being able to talk to you about it. Thank you for having me. It was so much fun talking to Jill about this book because first of all, we just scratched the surface of all of these very interesting things that she was delving into. But I want to talk about one in particular, and that is this idea of self-sabotage. You know, a lot of times people who have it all, they don't realize it until they start dismantling their life. And then maybe 10 years down the road, look back and think, wow, I did have it all. And what do you think about a friend coming alongside and saying, look, you're making some really wrong choices here and maybe take a look at this. Do you think people are even comfortable doing that these days? Well, I like that you brought that up to her and you added something. You said it has to be a special friend who has a good intention and really has your back. Because I think in life, we get a lot of criticism, don't we? And um, I am, I feel very grateful. I think I have quite a few friends like that in my life who sometimes sit you down and say, do you think you should be doing it this way? What do you think about this? Are you grateful for this? And vice versa. That is a treasure. That's a real treasure. And, and what do you think about what Jill said that because of our past lives, experiences, trauma, hurt, wounds, and successes... Sometimes we can't self-reflect. We can't truly see what we're doing. Yeah, I, I think that is 100% true. In fact, sometimes you have to kind of look back at the wreckage of relationships and see some of the patterns. And then you are able to have that, you know, hindsight view. But I, I just think that the ability to have passport into somebody's life and be able to speak to them from the heart, that's an earned trust. And I love that in the story, we saw examples where, you know, maybe there was a little uncertainty with one person, but another person was able to speak that truth into this person's lives. And I think that's why friends are really important in our lives. And do you think, I know I do sort of feel this way too, that as I get older, I am much wiser. I, I wish I knew now what I knew when I was 20, as far as life uh, lessons, uh, what to do, what not to do, what to say, what not to say. I feel like I don't, I, I hate to say that because I'm sure there's wisdom with youth as well, but I do think this is just the course of life. We learn things the hard way. Yeah. Which is sometimes why you've got to let people play that out and learn it just like you did. And that is the hard way. And, you know, cause those are the lessons that tend to stick. Mm -hmm. As in our, so, as in our children, for example, there's only so much that you can tell someone or teach someone or instruct them, and then they have to learn it on their own. I agree. And what did you think about this relationship? So we had two couples in this story that were sort of their own worst enemies in, in the quest of getting together and forming a romance. And I just thought it was so interesting. We could almost move self-sabotage into that or just the not being able to move away from fear because of prior hurt that you're afraid it's going to happen again. So you put up every kind of wall and you don't allow yourself to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get into that too much with her, but she really did explore this idea of intimacy because these were people who had no problem with physical intimacy, but emotional intimacy was very, very difficult 
because of these past hurts and these shared wounds, but even with other couples in the story. And I, I was reading it and I was thinking to myself, that's something you don't often think about is that difference between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. And you might be very good at one over the other, but there might be a reason why you're very good at one over the other. Oh, that's an interesting point, Kristen. Absolutely. And for these characters in each situation with the two different couples, the one couple just had to realize that they really did have feelings for each other, that they were trying to uh, oppress, suppress. The other couple knew they had feelings for each other, that they were trying to suppress it. Two whole different relationships. You know, this is what I love about a book like this, that I feel like no matter what age you are, you can relate a little bit to these characters. I mean, if you ever dated anyone at all in your lifetime or believed you were in love, you can relate to this and see a little of yourself. Could you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also, hopefully in a good way, as in, ooh, I tend to do that to people emotionally. Mm -hmm. It was such a great story. I just laughed so hard. And I just thought it was just a sweet, tenderhearted story, but with some gripping things. And of course, we got the added... Um, what Jill Shalvis is also known for, a little sexy book here, which we loved. Couldn't complain about that either. And funny. And funny. <laughs> so listeners, you're just going to love it. Pick it up. And in the meantime, you wouldn't believe what we've got coming. Some great stuff for you. Stay on the radar. Virginia Cantra, The fairy tale Life of Dorothy Gale. We've got Patricia Cornwell, Unnatural Death. We have uh, Jenny Colgan, Midnight at the Christmas Bookshop, Viola Shipman, The Wishing Bridge, Mary Kubica, She's Not Sorry, A.J. Hatley, Heideke Smith, Demon Dueler. That's a young adult novel that I'm excited about. C.J. Ray, The Excitements, Joyce Maynard, The Bird Hotel, Michelle Gable, The Beautiful People, and Emma Gray, The Last Love Note. And listeners, stay on the radar with us. We love to hear from you. We are thankful for you. And we've got these fantastic authors coming to talk about some of these deep issues, life issues that underlie their stories. And we just love it. We've got a little niche in the marketplace. And it's because of you spreading the word and spreading our socials. So, of course, you can find us on bookstormpodcast.com. You can find us on TikTok, on Instagram, on X. Look at YouTube. You'll see an entire list of absolutely amazing interviews that we've done with all of these authors. You can see them there. And on our website, you can go back and look at all of our past ones as well. We've got a hundred we're closing in on. So we're very excited. And until next time, listeners, we want you to stay on the radar with us. Dive down deep because that's one of the best ways to brave the storm we found. Thank you.